Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, a podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round we're doing the TV phenomenon that is traitors, which allows me to talk about the concepts of treason that goes back thousands of years and why we all fundamentally don't like them. Come with me on a journey. We're also going to be talking about reality TV and the big hit that is the Traitors TV series. Now, it first came into the English language on BBC in 2022. This is a very recent bit of reality TV compared to something like Big Brother or Survivor. These things have been going on for decades. No, this is the new one and it's the hot one. And what I find interesting is the BBC, if you don't know, if you're outside of Britain, is the highbrow channel. And while, yes, it does do populist stuff, it has its own soap opera, EastEnders, it isn't necessarily well known for its reality TV. That tends to be things like ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, etc., etc. So, while it was fairly heavily promoted, it was a bit of a surprise to everybody about how fast traitors really caught on. Now, if you're unaware of it, it's fronted by Claudia Winkleman, and when it runs, and it doesn't run all the time, it has seasons, if you like, it appears pretty much every single day, weekday, I should say. So you get into it, it turns into a conversation. It's not quite like streaming, where it all gets dumped in one go. It's eked out, and therefore it leads to people talking about these things. And again, this is smart stuff. What Netflix and others have discovered is, while, yes, you can dump your entire series immediately and people can binge watch, actually, that's beginning to fade away. Because what you want is to get that conversation going online. You want people discussing theories and stuff like that. And the thing is, if it's all dumped immediately, then by the time you've watched it, there's nothing to share. I know how that season of whatever ended and therefore, even Netflix is now starting to do as they did with Stranger Things Season 4, as they did with Witcher Season 3, is you get Part 1 and Part 2. So there's a month gap. There's plenty of stuff for you to be watching in the meantime, don't get me wrong, but it allows people to say, where do you think it's going to go? On Twitter, people will come up with YouTube theory videos and all that good stuff. 
So the thing about traitors is it's one of these things and all reality TV needs that kind of social media buzz to get people talking about it, which gets more people interested in it. I'm going to start watching it on catch up TV and blah, blah, blah. Very, very clever stuff. However, if you know me and you've been listening to these things, I'm careful with my language. And I didn't say that the BBC launched Traitors. Indeed, Traitors is based on De Verader's, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, it's a Dutch program from 2021, which if you translate it into English is The Traitors. It's exactly the same thing. Yes, so it's originally Dutch. This might surprise people with something like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It's a game show. You would assume that it's American. It's actually British. And lots of TV programs get remade in different countries. And the great thing about Traitors is now that the BBC have the English language rights to it, it's a joint production with the Dutch company. So the Dutch get a taste of every single version of it. But now there's the Traitors Australia and blah, 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 blah. If you're unfamiliar with the basic concept of traitors, it's similar to the parlor game. It's a very old fact. Who has a parlor nowadays? It's something like charades. It's something you do with a group of people when you're all together and your phones don't work. Let's say Christmas, something like that. That's what I mean by a parlor game of mafia or murder, where what you do is you've got one person in the group who's a murderer and basically they start touching people on the shoulder or something like that and then everybody has to guess who the murderer is and there's various rounds as people dwindle down same idea here group of complete strangers and people are known as either the traitors or the faithful it's not discussed between them that's for us the viewers to talk about and the hook on this is how quickly will the faithful realize the traitors amongst us? Obviously, the traitors are encouraged to lie and, and cheat and things like that. Obviously, they can't just turn around and go, yes, you have called me a traitor and I am indeed a traitor. They will lie to people's face. It's that beautiful, juicy bit of reality TV. And at certain points, the traitors can get together to vote off the faithful, perhaps somebody that they think is running a little too close to the sun in that one. Soon I am going to choose my traitors. You, under the cover of darkness, can murder one of your fellow players every single night, therefore removing them from the game. And indeed the faithful have an opportunity to sit down, or as a group as a whole, to vote off somebody who they think might be a traitor. Of course, the delicious thing is somebody that a group might not like who actually is faithful is voted off for personal reasons and the traitors have to sit there trying not to chuckle that a bit of friendly fire has occurred it's brilliant and it's all wrapped together with claudia winkleman so as you can see every decision has a consequence nothing's just for fun it is a perfect bit of packaged reality tv now the appeal of reality TV and why you end up getting something like Big Brother in its prime, it still exists, but in its prime, 20 years ago, Channel 4 had an entire summer of made-for-TV for not a lot of money. Obviously, all these people are in essence in a game show. 
And so therefore, they're not paid to be there. There's a prize to win at the end. And obviously, if you've created a big storm, this can lead to you leaving the reality show and people want you to write a story or endorse their product or open their supermarket or whatever. It can be quite impactful. The problem with all of these things, though, over time is people realize how much interest it generates. Another classic would be The Apprentice. Yes, sorry to mention Donald Trump, Alan Sugar in Britain, but it's a genius idea. Initially, I watched like the first 10 series in the UK because it was a really interesting way to see how business was presented in the world of media. And the reason why I switched off is they changed the rules. No longer at the end did you get a job with Alan Sugar's company or Donald Trump's company, it changed to they're going to invest in your product. And in the first change of format, there was a guy who kept failing at all of the tests and chores and activities and tasks. And Sugar was saying, oh, I like him. I like him. And then when it came to the final two, it was him versus this other woman. And this other woman was clearly vastly more capable as a business person than this guy. But the final bit was about pitching your idea that you'd come to them in the first place with. And he had a curved nail file. Genius idea. So genius. It's like, why has nobody done that before? And it was clear that Alan Sugar wanted to just invest in that because the other woman had a kind of concierge service. It was right as an idea. Maybe it'll make money, maybe it won't. But the other one was clearly a way to just make millions. And therefore, it's nothing to do with the game show anymore. It's actually to do with their own version of their business pitch. And therefore, it was very similar to another series called Dragon's Den or Shark Tank in America. Sometimes these names are changed to fit better different countries and cultures. And again, these are other reality TV shows. So the people in them, they're not paid anything. They're just contestants. And you can show hours and hours because there is no script to this. So you get, in the case of, I'm going to say Channel 4, back in the heyday of Big Brother. Big Brother. You've got an hour every single day, which if that had been scripted with sets and actors would cost a million pounds easy. This has cost four pounds fifty and a packet of crisps. Very easy, very straightforward. And then you're getting all the free advertising through all the the news are talking about, oh, what about this? What about that? I remember the first Big Brother when it was a new concept. Again, that was actually a Dutch show that made it over to the UK and then on to the whole world. And there was Nasty Nick in the first series in the UK. And they were all sitting around the table. And at its peak, it was getting something like four or five million viewers every single day. And they were sitting there, of course, completely cut off from the rest of the world going, do you think anybody's still watching this? We're just sitting here having a coffee. And five million people shouted into their TVs, yes, we're watching this. This is fascinating. And the guy who was Nasty Nick, he was playing the game. He was sort of playing off different people. He didn't want to be voted off the Big Brother household. But he didn't realize that through the lens of the editing, because they're not going to show you everything they did in 24 hours, he's going to come across as extremely manipulative. And he didn't realize five million people were going to watch it. But he made 
money, being a minor celebrity, and indeed you then get things like celebrity big brother, celebrity traitors, etc. And it's one of these things where it becomes a, a self-feeding process. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. How many of these people are actually celebrities? If it was somebody like Tom Cruise and Benedict Cumberbatch in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, I would watch it. But no, those people are so successful, their celebrity status means they don't appear in these things. Instead, you get somebody who was a footballer for Derby County for one season until they unfortunately broke their ankle. It's like, okay, fine. I guess they were sort of kind of famous. Or somebody, you get to the point where somebody who wins one of these other reality shows is now considered a celebrity and then appears in the celebrity version of another reality show. What? So there's this wonderful loop that happens with this that works for everybody except us, the viewers. Because after a while, once the novelty's worn off, it's just more of the same. Or what they do is they amp it up. I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but in terms of Big Brother with everybody living together over a period of time, in many other countries, people would hook up. And of course, they knew that they were being filmed. And Britain was one of the last countries to actually have a couple hook up live on TV. Pretty seedy stuff, I, I know. But it's one of these things where it's like, well, we've seen people arguing and swearing at each other. I guess this is the last thing to watch. And really, if we go to the Truman Show, that predates most of the wave of reality shows that have been going on for the last 25 years or so. And The Truman Show got it right. If you get that particular character, we all love them and follow them. But when you add this wonderful, delicious layer of subterfuge of people cheating with each other, and of course, like all good reality shows, there's group tasks and the traitors might be tasked to muck it up a little bit but if they muck it up too much they might be voted off because they become unpopular rather than them becoming a traitor so there's this balance there's this gamification of pretty much every interaction which gives you so much time and effort to be able to suck people into this stuff and like i say it's super cheap and with the background of all the strikes, reality shows don't come under that. These people aren't actors. They're not a member of SAG or anything like that. So that's a really clever thing to do. And there is no screenwriting either. So there's no scripts. Therefore, you're cutting out some of the things. And therefore, it encourages people to get onto TV. But it's immune to the unions that are trying to create quality programming. I like a good bit of reality TV just as much as the next person problem is though i don't just want reality tv and it's so cheap and it can get such high viewership that it starts leading channels to think let's just only do this we don't need actors anymore we don't need drama or screenwriters or things like that and it's like no no i'd like a bit of everything please thank you very much a bit of action a bit of drama nice game show thrown in there somewhere as well nice nature documentary thank you very much i don't just want one thing no matter how much i enjoy christopher nolan i wouldn't want to watch a channel that only showed christopher nolan channels and that was my only choice i'll tune in to watch inception but there's only so many times i can watch inception or oppenheimer or whatever so it's a double-edged sword with this world of reality tv shows and traitors is basically the new way it's the new one which will run red hot for four or five years and then everybody will kind of get sick of it and then there'll be the next thing be it love island 
I'm a celebrity. There are so many of them. Netflix has all kinds of weird ones out there. Hot Beach or something. I forget what it's called. The Room is Lava. That's a fun kid's version playing a kid's game with adults only genuinely having orange water there so it sort of looks like lava. That's quite fun. All these kind of game shows, reality TV shows, all of them, they will always be there. It's always a thing. With that being said, let's move on to traitors and why nobody actually likes them very much. As always, I'm going to say we're sort of in the middle here. Please remember to click subscribe. Please let me know what you think of these. I'm at Gem Daducci on Twitter and also on threads. Have a go at that. If you could tell somebody else, if you could say, hey, I'm enjoying this podcast. Let's try and grow the listenership a little bit. It's a little podcast, but I think it's got big future ahead of it. Right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pick five traitors. A little bit about what traitors or treason is anyway. And we'll go through chronologically in time. So my choices are Ephialtes, Brutus, Judas, Guy Fawkes, and Benedict Arnold. So there we go. That's 2,000 years of naughtiness going on there. Traitor. The idea of a traitor is somebody who has been entrusted to do one job and then goes completely against it. The classic form of treason is when you do something to harm your own country. Now, interestingly, there is this part in the Bible which seems to have got mistranslated, where it said the line is, in essence, there is nothing worse than a witch, which is one of the triggers of all the witch trials that started in the post-Renaissance era into the modern era, across the whole of Europe, and then on into the Americas as well. Not a good thing. Thousands were killed. Nobody should suffer a witch, is the line, and it should be, nobody should suffer a traitor. And when you put it like that, it's like, yeah, get them. Traitors are by their very nature people who are trying to do me, my country, my way of life harm. Maybe they've been paid to do it. Maybe they're ideologically opposed to it. But they're traitors. Throw the book at them. Maybe put a brick in the book as well while you're at it. Nobody is going to defend traitors. Now, the idea, one man's traitor is another man's freedom fighter, there is always that argument. And certainly when we get to Benedict Arnold, the American colonists are referred to as rebels. What are they rebelling against? They're rebelling against the actual people who are running the area originally, which is the British Empire. But of course, if you're American and it's a successful revolution, you don't see it that way. And obviously you're then going to turn around and go, well, Native Americans were there first. Yeah, but this is the thing about the rebels. They weren't planning on giving everything back to the natives. Basically, it was a management takeover of an existing enterprise. Interesting when you put it that way. Yay. Let's, however, first of all, go way, way back to 2800 BC, and that is Ephialtes. Now, maybe this name is familiar to you. What's interesting is this particular traitor is so reviled, we know almost nothing about him. Doesn't anybody know my name? This is all to do with the 300 Spartans, you know, Battle of Thermopylae, the movie 300, the hot gates, the Greeks versus the Persians. You know what I mean. This is Sparta! The point is that the Battle of Thermopylae, because of the Greek phalanx formation with this heavy infantry with big shields and their spears jutting out between them, wearing this heavy bronze plate armor, 
against these very lightly armed and armoured Persians. It was the perfect bottleneck. And after two days, this small band of about 2,000 Greeks, it wasn't the 300, the 300 were leading a group of other people there, probably a bit over 2,000, against, presumably, it wasn't a million as the old chronicles say, let's call it 100,000. It was still a ridiculously unfair match. And yet, two days in, nothing's happening. Because if you, you just can't push your way back against a solid wall of blades, really, and that's what was the problem. And so, the Persians definitely needed to get around it. And they knew that there was invariably mountain paths in various mountain ranges. How did they know that? Look at Persia and modern-day Iran. There's lots of mountains there. They basically had their own mountaineering division as part of the, the groups there. Specialist forces used to fighting in foothills. So it wasn't something that they were unsure about. They knew it was an inevitability, but where was it? They were in a foreign land. So they needed local assistance. And that's who Ephialtes is. This is the hilarious thing. Ephialtes seems to have been a local Greek Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And they're going to know the little mountain passes and pathways and things like that. And we know nothing else. Now, in the movie 300, there's this whole backstory. He's hideously disfigured. He wanted to be a Spartan warrior. He's shunned by Leonidas, and therefore he goes to the Persians and is offered everything, and he betrays them that way. Wonderful idea, and I love the fact that Ephialtes is hideously disfigured, because that's a classic thing that people do. The revulsion to the 
lack of faith going on here. Again, going back to the TV show, it's interesting to me that we have the traitors and the faithful. There is nothing worse than I thought I could trust you and it turns out I couldn't. That gives you a really visceral feeling, a real letdown in your mind. And that's what's going on here with Ephialtes. You see, because he let everybody down to show him so disfigured, it is, in essence, libel in a way, because we don't know anything about him. Probably he was a pretty average-looking Greek guy. But to show him as this almost homunculus, this freak, is very appropriate as to how we feel about him. It's like we want to see him as twisted and monstrous. And that's the way he's portrayed, and it's probably completely historically inaccurate. But all we can say is Ephialtes let the Persians through once they could find another way down and get behind the Greek group. At that point, it was game over. And on day three, the Persians are attacking from both sides. It just doesn't give the Greeks enough time to rest and recuperate. And so they're just ground out. It is a battle of attrition. It's perhaps the most famous feat that feels like a victory because these people should have been swept aside. And had they been in a big open field against this massive Persian army, it would have been over in minutes. But instead, it's three days causing heavy casualty to the Persians, but not heavy enough to stop the Persians marching through, sweeping into mainland Greece and indeed burning Athens. So, yeah, Ephialtes, number one, can't say a lot about him. But then we get to Brutus. Now, we know loads about Brutus, and indeed Brutus is one of the many names he took. It is customary in Roman culture that you might change your name to reflect your status or your relationship to a family, even as a man. I mean, we see that quite normally today with women. It's like, oh, your surname is Smith. You're marrying a Darren. That's the surname I've just decided. So you change your surname from Smith to Darren. And now you're Mrs. Darren. Things like that happen with men as well. And Brutus was a deliberate name that was picked because there was an ancient myth in Rome of a Brutus slaying a dictator. So it was a way to show the legitimacy of the murder of Julius Caesar. Now, you know, this is such a famous story. Do I really, really need to tell you anything else about it? The thing I will point out is, weirdly, the very first autopsy on record is the body of Julius Caesar. The reason why I say weirdly is because the cause of death was pretty obvious. He was stabbed 20 times by the various senators. The cause of death is sharp implements again and again. However, we all know the last words of Julius Caesar is et tu brute, which is and you Brutus. But that's not true. That's an example of how Shakespeare has changed history because that's a line from Julius Caesar play. If you look at the actual chronicles and records about Julius Caesar's death, most of them say that he said nothing, which is unsurprising as he's being stabbed to death and he's a middle-aged man. A couple said that he let out a sigh or a groan. Again, unsurprising, he'd be stabbed multiple times. One, later one, says that he said something about Brutus, but not et tu Brute. So the fact of the matter is, he was definitely murdered. Brutus was definitely one of the key ringleaders about this assassination. And it's one of these complicated ones where Brutus probably did the right thing. Caesar had become a dictator. Indeed, the term dictator comes from a Roman word, which normally there was a Senate, there was a Republic. People were meant to vote people in. It was a flawed democracy, but it was a democracy. And 
at times of real crisis, they would put aside the democracy to say, look, we'd have one ruler who's going to rule until the end of this crisis just to get the job done so we don't waste time in lots of committees. Makes a lot of sense. But Caesar had turned it into a perennial term for him. In other words, he'd become a king again, and the Romans really didn't like their kings. I love the fact that the original group of kings that were eventually deposed, and that's how they became a republic, and the last king was called Tarquinius Superbus. So Tarquin the Awesome, which is a silly name. I think we can all agree. Even once we get into the era of the emperors, they never outright called themselves kings, and any of them that did act in a kingly way and tried to wear a crown invariably met a sticky end. So there was still this feeling of this fig leaf of like, no, we're still a republic even though you're not anymore. But because Julius Caesar's adopted son, Octavius, who ended up becoming Caesar Augustus, he gets to rewrite these things. Julius Caesar was right. He was a dictator. I'm a dictator. Imperator, technically, yes, it is literally where we get the English word emperor. But critically, in Rome, it meant something different. An imperator didn't mean emperor, as in like the contemporary Chinese emperor, divine power, etc. And that sounds too much like a king. The literal translation of imperator is successful general, who wouldn't want a successful general to be leading them. So again, a bit of a fig leaf rather than just calling them Rex, king in Latin. That's Brutus. Let's move on to Judas. Again, a pretty famous one here. But the interesting thing about Judas is we've got different opinions of him. If you only read the Bible, he's definitely a bad guy. And he obviously famously betrays Jesus for 40, 20, 20 pieces of silver, 40 pieces of silver, says Jem famously, but now forgetting the number. Hey, Hank Williams, could you help Jem out, please? 30 pieces of silver, 30 shekels of shame, was the price paid for Jesus, on the cross he was slain. But yeah, pieces of silver which invariably would have been Roman coin, of course, in this area. Nice connection there. And the thing is, with Judas, is there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there are other Gospels. These are known as the Gnostic Gospels. Gnostic means knowledge. And there's the Gospel according to St. Thomas, and there is also a Gospel according to St. Judas. Now, Judas became, because he was one of the apostles, did become a saint. There is a Saint Jude, the patron saint of lost causes. And the idea is that if you're praying to Saint Jude, because Jude sounds so similar to Judas, you might accidentally get Judas instead. You've got to be desperate to be praying to Saint Jude. And the thing is about Judas is, according to his gospel, he was in on it. He was the most loyal apostle of all. But Jesus said that what must happen is he must die at the hands of the Romans and the Sadducees to shake people up, for people to understand they shouldn't follow the old Jewish traditions and to follow this new way. It is worth pointing out that Jesus's mission was not to create a new religion. It was to advance Judaism into a different format. And... In that sense, he singularly failed because Jews do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So what happened was that he wanted, according to this gospel, he wanted Judas 
to betray him, to basically embroil him, and therefore that's his mission completed. And Judas wept bitterly and protested heavily, and Jesus sort of said, no, everything's going to be fine. This is what I want. You're, you're doing my wishes. Now, this was actually a gospel created several centuries after the time of Jesus. So this is clearly a later person. It wasn't written by Judas. I don't want to get too technical here, but none of the gospels were actually written by Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. It's a whole other story. They're attributed to these people. So this was clearly not, and a lot of the Gnostic gospels, it does look like when they were compiling the Bible in Nicaea, they tended to pick accurately the oldest gospels or something like the book of revelation etc so judas was he actually a traitor who can say i like that one it's something a bit different in it right okay let's move on to guy fawkes remember remember the 5th of november gunpowder treason and plot i see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot that's the catchy thing around it but the thing i find fascinating about the gunpowder plot is Guy Fawkes didn't lead it. That was Robert Catesby. And the other thing about the gunpowder plot that has been evolved with things like the V for Vendetta comic, hint here, I love Alan Moore, you know, the man wrote Watchmen, but comics probably aren't the place to get history from. Just putting that out there. Same with movies, okay? He wasn't some kind of Republican who wanted to create a new form of democracy in Britain. No, he was a Catholic. I'm a Roman Catholic and have been since before I was born. And he didn't like the fact that the Roman Catholic Church had been pushed out of the halls of power because you've had the Reformation, you've got the rise of the Anglican Church, the Church of England started by Henry VIII about 70 years earlier, give or take, and it seesaws backwards and forwards. You get Henry's son, Edward, he's also a firm Protestant, no to Catholicism, but then he dies young, and then we get Mary, another child of Henry VIII, although she's a firm Catholic, so Catholicism comes back in, she dies of stomach cancer, then we get Queen Elizabeth I, another child of Henry VIII. My goodness, he had a lot of kids, eh? Might have something to do with the fact that he had six wives. But anyway, moving on. And she was very much a Protestant, and then we get moved in from Scotland, James VI of Scotland, who is James I in England. And he also was a Protestant, but he was pretty mild against the Catholics. Other people, like Elizabeth, for example, had been pretty extreme against the Catholics. Now, there was some good reasons for this. They had created the papal bull, referred to as Regens in Excelsis, which basically said that if you assassinated Queen Elizabeth I, that's the same as going on crusade, all your sins will be forgiven and you'll definitely go to heaven. Well, if somebody wrote that about you, you'd probably have a grudge against that institution, wouldn't you? So it's pretty bloody on both sides, all right? And then we come to James. He's now Stuart, not a Tudor. He's from a different lineage. And he was invited by a committee to become the King of England. So he didn't exactly have a lot of a firm fan base. So he was actually relatively moderate towards the Catholics, but he wasn't a Catholic. And that was driving people like Catesby crazy. So they come together with this plot. And it's one of the dumbest plots in history where underneath the House of Parliament, it's right on the Thames. 
and it's on the tidal part of the Thames, so perfect place for merchant ships to come in and load and unload docks and all that kind of stuff. And so the gang together hired one of these places, filled it full of barrels of gunpowder, and then plague struck, so then they all had to leave London, and then they'd been left in a fairly damp place. And the reason why we remember Guy Fawkes is he was the guy who was caught he was the one literally setting fire to the barrels when the guards, the parliamentary militia, turned up and went, oh my goodness, what are you doing? And he is horrifically tortured and the entire thing falls to pieces. Obviously, there's also the letter that's sent out. Guy Fawkes didn't do that. Catesby didn't do it either. It was another idiot member of the group sending to a friend going, oh, please don't go to Parliament that day, which sort of triggered the authority. It's just... It's one of these things where the plot shouldn't have succeeded, and it didn't succeed. And if you're going to blow up the Houses of Parliament with the King and all of the vaguely elected officials in there, again, this is a very imperfect democracy, but it's more of a democracy than France or pretty much anywhere else in Europe at that time. If you blew up Parliament today from somebody who had political views, we would absolutely consider them a terrorist and, if they were British, also a traitor as well. Not a lot of people's going to turn around. I, I hasten to add, not just your party is out there. All the people are blown up there, including the people you voted for. Yeah, you're not going to be happy about that, are you? So, yeah, the Guy Fawkes, it's really interesting. Of all the people who've done harm to the British Isles over the last 2,000 years, why is he the one remembered on the 5th of November? Or we burn an effigy of him? Why don't we burn an effigy of, let's say, Napoleon? He tried to invade Britain or Hitler. It's weird that he's the one who gets all the hate and there are actually better cases. Or indeed, burn Catesby. Don't, don't burn a guy. Burn a, a Robert, okay? That, that would make more sense. He was the guy who actually was the brains, and I use that term very loosely, behind the operation. And then let's come to the most recent version, Benedict Arnold. Now, Benedict Arnold is fascinating. He was an officer in the British colonial militias during the Seven Years' War, which is known as the French-Indian War in America. Now, to be fair, he was not in that war for very long. He was in it in 1758, which was kind of the start of hostilities. This is Seven Years' War was one of the first world wars. It was between the British Empire and the French Empire. There was fighting in India. There was fighting in the North Atlantic, in the Caribbean, in the Americas, in Europe. Our ally in Europe was Frederick the Great. So it was a huge maelstrom. Thousands of men died in it. Nations clashed. Empires clashed. It was a staggeringly successful victory for Britain and really knocked France down. Britain went from being an imperial power to the imperial power. However, let's not overdo it for Benedict. He was in it for all of 13 days and he was in a militia. But just like George Washington, he tasted a little bit of action during this other period when both of them had been on the British side against the French. So we then come to 1775, which is actually the first year of the American Revolution. And Benedict Arnold is on the side of the rebels and he captures Fort Ticonderoga, which takes a long time to pronounce if you're not sure about that spelling and pronunciation. But the point is, capturing that fort was a really big deal and it pushed him up the ranks. People started looking at him. At the Battle of Ridgefield, he becomes a major general. 
and then we get at the battles of saratoga where he is shot not once but twice in the same leg which he said was such terrible agony that he wished he'd just died instead so the point is he's winning at a time when most of the american activity at the early stages of this war of revolution is going badly for the americans so he's one of the success stories but he starts feeling that he's while he is getting promotions he's probably not getting as many promotions as he should he's one of the only reliable generals him and washington that's about it other people start shaving away some of his credit saying well it's also me as well and he also gets the feeling that some people aren't necessarily paying him the money that he's owed so things get more tricky because also he's married to Peggy Shippen. That's a love marriage and they've been married for years. The problem is Peggy Shippen is an outspoken loyalist. How can a rebel officer, one of the most important rebel officers, be married to a woman who's an outspoken defender of the crown? This isn't a good idea, is it? This, this sounds like there's going to be a clash at some point. And then he's given the very prestigious thing of going to take over West Point, which is nowadays, it's the absolute pivotal military academy in america it was a big deal even in the 1770s as well however because arnold had felt that he had been hard done by so many times he decided to switch sides he's not the only one to have done it however his plan was to go to west point he was about to be given the keys to west point and when he got there he was going to throw open the gates and let the british go in which would have been a major victory for the british major setback for the americans Basically, people found out about it beforehand, and so he was caught red-handed, and then he had to flee. First of all, he fled, and then later on, his wife fled, and they both went to Britain. And Brigadier General, he did fight on the British side in the war, and so this is a classic example of one man's freedom fighter is another man's traitor, because he was on the rebel side. From the British side, he'd had his career through British military activity, and being rewarded and now he'd become a turncoat a traitor to britain by supporting the rebels but he'd seen the error of his ways and was brought back into the bosom of the british empire but obviously from the american point of view this was a reliable general who'd turned tail and suddenly is causing a major pain for them and at the battle of urton heights he fought successfully for the British side. So you can see why in America today, just a casual insult of your being a Benedict Arnold has some real bite to it because he really did let down the American side in that situation. But from the British perspective, he didn't do all that badly. Indeed, he retired, Brigadier General, good pension, and he eventually died in London. So if you wanted to see Benedict Arnold's grave, you're going to have to come to Britain rather than America, and America certainly aren't planning to exhume his corpse and bring him back anytime soon, because he's almost an embarrassment. He was a key figure in the first couple of years of the revolution, who then went a bit funny from the American perspective. So there we go, traitors from different continents, different eras. What an interesting bunch. I think some of these people we can sort of relate to, and some of them we sit there and go, no, just a bad one, simple as that. That's it from me, another episode coming soon.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.